<laughs> hey, good morning. Thanks for uh, coming out this morning. I know it's a big holiday weekend and everybody's uh, burned out from the 4th of July. Are you? Not yet. Let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to finish up there. We looked uh, last week and the weeks before uh, talking about leadership in the church. And, and we started with overseer, elder, shepherd, and then we got to deacons. And uh, I was just thinking about this uh, yesterday. You know, well, how does... And we talked a lot about serving and the idea of a deacon being one who serves and how we have a lot of people that are serving here. And just the, the whole picture for our church here is that, you know, God is raising up men, I believe, to be those uh, overseers and elders. And we have some that have been serving in that capacity uh, for a long time as well. And then um, there's just a whole bunch of deacons when you look at what the word really means, someone who serves. There's a whole bunch of people are serving. And uh, you remember the question, deacon who? Right, you and me. So we're going to talk about the church today because I believe God, talk, God talks about the church, but God really cares about the church. And uh, a couple of things, interesting things uh, before we get into that. Um, there was a church newsletter uh, mentioned a man who visited 19 different churches on successive Sundays, right? He was just going to go and visit these, all these different churches. He's, he was trying to find out, it says, what the churches were really like. And he said, he said this, he said, I sat near the front, and after the service I walked slowly to the rear, and then I returned to the front, and I went back to the foyer using another aisle, I smiled and I was neatly dressed and I asked one person to direct me to a specific place, a fellowship hall, pastor's study, etc. I remained for coffee if served. I used, he says, I used a scale to rate the reception that I received. He says, I awarded points. I can imagine him. He's got his little calculator out or his pad or whatever. He's you know, t keeping score, right? And it, I don't know if this really happened or not, but it's an interesting um, illustration here. Ten, ten points for a smile from another worshiper. Ten points for a greeting for, from someone sitting nearby. A hundred points for an exchange of names. Two hundred for an invitation to have coffee. Two hundred for an invitation to return. 1,000 for an introduction to another worshiper. And get this one. 2,000 for an invitation to meet the pastor. <laughs> so I could have left that one off, if I, but I just thought it might be kind of interesting and funny. I guess it wasn't so funny after all. Says on this on this scale, eleven of the eighteen churches earned fewer than one hundred points. Eleven out of the eighteen, and five actually received less than twenty. The conclusion: the doctrine may be biblical, the singing inspirational, the sermon uplifting. But when a visitor finds nobody who cares whether he's there, 
he's not likely to come back. Just kind of interesting. I know that, again, uh, every church is different, and I, I, I don't believe that's true of us, although I don't remember anybody bringing someone up. I want to introduce you to the pastor recently, but um, we'll try that, and I'm going to give you 2,000 points, or someone's going to get 2,000 points uh, for that. But just an idea, to something to think about in terms of church. We'll get again to the church. There was a husband and his wife. They got up one Sunday morning and the wife, you know, got dressed for church and it was about time to leave. And she noticed that her husband hadn't moved a finger toward getting dressed, getting ready. So she asked him, why aren't you getting ready for church? And he says, because I don't want to go. Any of you ever felt that way? I don't want to go. And so she asked, do you have any reasons? And he said, and you've probably heard this before, yes, I have three good reasons. First, the congregation is cold. Second, no one likes me. And the third, I just don't want to go. And the wife replied, you know, listen, honey, I have three reasons why you should go. First, the congregation is warm. And the second, there are a few people there who like you. And third, you're the pastor, so get dressed. <laughs> You've kind of heard that before. You know, we're all just people, right? And we're all just trying to make it work and make it happen. Our church, I don't know. No, I'm not going to say anything about that. First Timothy chapter 3, we're going to talk about the church. We're going to talk about God's household, God's family. But I'm wondering... If you, uh, let me ask you a question before we uh, look at these verses. Do you have any rules at your house? Do you have rules at your house? Any like guidelines that you have, you know, that, hey, these are the rules of our house. You tell your kids or you tell each other, hey, this is how we do things here. This is what we do. Any of you have those? Can you think of one that, maybe a funny one that you have at your house that you're not embarrassed to tell these people? <laughs> Anybody? That's not supposed to be on that. Why is that like that? There we go. Uh, pardon? No running on the stairs. Ooh, that's a good one. No cell phones at mealtime? Oh, man. You're going to cramp my style. Yeah. What else? Anybody else? Ah, I like that one, yeah. Be quiet until everyone else wakes up. Yeah. If you take a bite of food, um, you get to say the blessing. Uh-huh. If you take a bite of food before you've said the blessing, then you get to say the blessing. Right. And that could affect how the blessing goes. Like if it tastes good, it might be a good blessing. If it doesn't, it might not be so good. Anybody else? I'm not going to name any specific rules in my house, but I'm probably the reason for all of them. <laughs> you know, rules aren't bad, right? They're, you know, uh, apart from being like legalistic kind of thing, rules, guidelines, we need them, right? So that things function, things flow, things work. Our society is full of that when we, when we don't have any kind of laws, any kind of rules, uh, we call that anarchy, when, when people are just doing whatever they want to do. And, and uh, so, 
we have to we have to know how we're supposed to act and again we learned that first I think in the home and and first Timothy now as we read here he's been teaching us and he is teaching us Paul is writing to to Timothy about what it should be like in the church in the household of God let's look at at verses 14 and 15 chapter 3 first Timothy although I hope to come to you soon I am writing you these instructions so that If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. He says, I'm writing these things to you so people will know how they should act, how things should go in church. It's not just a free-for-all where everybody just does whatever they want to do. Uh, Maybe you've been to a church like that. That's sort of like that here, right? No? I don't think so, but... How people should conduct themselves, it says, in God's household, in God's family. You see, Paul loved the church, and he loved those people there. And we see it. He says he wanted to go and see them. I hope to come to you soon. And and he wanted to go, but it's not always possible. You know, we're not here in church because we have to be, right? Right? Paul wanted to be with those people. We're here because we want to be here. At least, I think most of us are here because we want to be here. We feel like it's an important part of the Christian life, being together and being assembled, and we'll talk about what the word church means. But, but Paul, he, he realized that he couldn't get to them. There's a good possibility he couldn't get there. And he says, well, you know, so I'm going to write to you. I'm going to send you a letter. He says, I'm writing you. And that's kind of a lost art, I think, in our society. We, we text people, right? And some of you are texting right now. I can see that. Uh, we text people. We might send them an email, but to actually write them a letter and put it in an envelope? Like, when was the last time you did that? But Paul wrote this letter, and we are so glad he did. Because he, it's preserved for us, and God was speaking through him to write to these people and give them these instructions. So he says, so that you will know how to conduct yourselves. It's practical stuff. It's helpful stuff. And, and though it's not always easy, and, e- and even in our homes, the rules that we have in our homes, the guidelines, we, it's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to get the toilet paper on the right way, right? Because you just forget, well, what was the right way again? I'm with you on that. It's not always easy, but to have these guidelines, and that's what Paul is giving us here. This is so people would know. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves, he says, in God's household, which is the church. How people ought to conduct themselves. You see, the church, as he's talking about here, the church is not just a building. The church is not a club. The church really is a family. He calls it God's household. Some translations say God's house. But it's not about the building, right? It's about the family, about the gathering, about the the people uh, that make up the church. And really, it it includes so many things. It includes the, uh, the, the dysfunctions. It includes the the positives, the, the personalities. 
And I'm just thinking about our church here now. The different personalities are here are, are, are incredible. There's, so, you know, there's, no, there's no two people that are alike in this room are here right now. That's awesome. But that also has its challenges, right? Because they don't think just like you do. They don't uh, maybe want to do the same things you do. So we have the different personalities. We have different responsibilities. When you think about a family, too, for a family to function, they need to all kind of do their thing and be, do the part that they need to do. And when you're a kid, we call it what? Chores, right? So people have got to do their chores, you know, whatever your responsibility is in the house. And if you don't have any responsibilities, well, that's probably a problem. Or maybe you're not doing what you know you should do. That's also a problem. There's benefits of a family. There's costs of a family. There's stresses in a family. Do you ever have stress in your family? No, not me. It's just part of life, right? There's challenges. Trying to maintain and, and, and have relationships grow. And again, I think you can kind of see where I'm talking here about in terms of a church, that we have relationships and, and we, we are like a family. It's God's household, he said. And, and how do we function and what do we do and how are things supposed to work? Well, our guideline, our guidebook, I should say, is really this book here, right? This is what we follow. It's not just what somebody comes along and says, well, I think we should do it like this and this is what I think we should do and be and all the rest of it. Well, that, that, those might be good ideas, but if, they, if they're not backed up by this or if they're not uh, prohibited by what it says here, well, then it might be okay. I don't think anywhere it says in there what, you know, what uh, color the wall should be in the place where you meet or anything like that. Safety within the family. But I think the biggest thing, I think, is love within the family. Jesus said, you know, they'll know you are Christians by what? By love. By how you love one another. And that's really the most important thing is there's some love. And if not... Maybe we should pray for it. Ask God to give us the love that we need. Somebody wrote this. He says that, there, that, that God has established three, only three institutions. And when I say institution, I don't mean that in a bad sense. You know, Some of us belong and we think we're heading for an institution. And maybe we think our church is an institution. But in the... In the uh, Simplest sense of the word, there are three things that God has established. Number one, uh, marriage. Number two, government. And number three, family. These, these three things that God has established. Excuse me, government, marriage, and family in the church. Sorry, left off the one I was talking about here today. And this person here writes, in post-Christian America, all three of these are being either discarded or treated with suspicion. In modern America, church has become peripheral, meaning just something on the edge, something on the side. And yet, he says, yet God has firmly established the church, bestowing it with honor and declaring that even hell itself could not overwhelm it. This is church he's talking about. This family of God that we're speaking about here today. 
I think in the news we've, we've seen that, and, and especially over the last, say, 30 to 40 years, how what this person is saying is actually true. These things are, are being, uh, the way God has set them up, especially marriage here in the last few weeks, the world's going a different direction. So who do we follow? Follow the world or do we follow what God says in his word? You see, this is how we ought to conduct ourselves. I want you to turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. Just back a few books here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. <clears throat> he says, consequently, in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. You're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. He says that's the, that's the church that we're talking about here. That's what God has for you and I, that we are members of one another. We're fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, members of God's family. You and I are members of the family. We're, we're a family here. You and I. Now, just go ahead and keep a marker in there. It's going to come, we're going to come back to that Ephesians chapter 2 in a little bit. But, but this idea of God's household, he says back in 1 Timothy 3, he says that it is the church of the living God. The church of the living God. Now this word church, I, I told you we'd talk about this word church. Anybody know what word that is? Can anybody Ecclesia. tell me? Ecclesia. And, and basically that's a very simple word that uh, is two words put together. One is ek, and that means out. And klesia means called. So the word ecclesia, we, we hear it sometimes, ecclesia, uh, it means those that are called out. It means a gathering together of those that were called out. And that's kind of a picture, isn't it? That you and I are called out of the world, called out of uh, uh, just the, the population to gather together as ones that belong in the family of God. That's pretty special, I think. You see, as I said, Paul looks with a very high regard upon the church, and I think God does as well because he calls it his family, he calls it his own. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says there, We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Chris talked about this during worship, that the presence of God here within us, because he wants to be part of this family. He wants to be a part of who we are. Again, it's not just this club that we have. It's not just uh, some kind of you know, class that we attend. It's, this is a, a living, vibrant, growing family of God. Doesn't make us perfect, though, does it? Every family's, I think, got its own little dysfunctions, and we all, because we're human beings and we gather together, we have our issues, and sometimes we even, you know, fight. Sometimes we have problems. Sometimes we have to figure things out. But also in 2 Corinthians 6, God says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
We have a father. We talked about that on Father's Day as well, to, to see the, the father happy. He calls it the church here in 1 Timothy, the church of the living God, that, that he is alive. And because he is alive, because he is here, this makes it a, a, a living church. It's not a dead church. It's not a dead orthodoxy that we just study, that we just think about. But we do study, and I think that's important. Before we move on, though, I want to I want to um, read to you, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but I just kind of like this, uh, actually, if I can find it, about the different people in the church. Uh, the Tate family. You know this one? Right? Sometimes known as the Tater family. Do you know how many members of the Tate family belong to your church? Anybody know? A lot. There's old man Dick Tate, who wants to run everything while Uncle Rotate tries to change everything, and their sister, Aggie, stirs up plenty of trouble with help from her husband, Erie. And whenever new projects are suggested, Hezzy and his wife, Veggie, want to wait until next year. And then there's Aunt Emmy, who wants our church to be like all the others. Devis provides the voice of doom, while Potent wants to be a big shot. But not all members of the family are bad. Brother Facili is quite helpful. And a delightful, happy member of the family is Miss Felici. Cousins Kaji and Mehdi you got to think fast to get these, right? They always think things over and lend helpful, steady hands. And of course, there's the black sheep of the family, Ampu, who has completely cut himself off from the church. <laughs> we got the whole Tate family around here, I think, don't we? But they all fit together. They're all part. They're all important, each one. Each one of you has a part to play. Each one of you is part of this family. And uh, I think we have something special here. Another facet now, moving on to the second point here. The first is it being the family, but second, he says here, is the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, a pillar is kind of like something that, that holds something up, right? The pillar. And so... This is what God's Word is telling us today is that the church, this household, this family of God, it isn't just about us feeling good together and that, but there's this, there's this element of it too where we actually deal with the matters of truth. We hold up truth. We hold out truth to the world around us. We study. We, we read God's words because we want to know what the truth is. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, what? Right, it'll make you free. At that time in Ephesus, there was a temple of Diana, and I read that the temple of Diana had 127 pillars, but yet no truth, no truth, idolatry, false religion. And here, it's telling us that the church is the pillar, 
and the foundation of the truth. The church, this one pillar that this is what God has decided. This is the way God has spelled it out for you and for me, that, that he uses the church. The church through the ages, when you study church history, you see how God has used the church through the history to, to keep and to spread the good news about who Jesus Christ is. Which, that's what the message of the local church is. And this is where we come to our, our last verse here in verse 16. The message of the, of the local church is Jesus, isn't it? The message is Jesus, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Turn back to that passage in Ephesians chapter 2 again. The next verse we read there in uh, verse 20, excuse me, uh, where are we? Verse 20, no, yes, 20. I'm in Philippians, that's the problem. Okay, that's the problem, big problem there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, uh, built, he's talking about the church, God's household, God's family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So we have this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and really that's God's word that was given through the apostles and the prophets, that God spoke, and, and we have it recorded for us. We have it for, for, for all time now for us to hold on to, to study and to read. But he says Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone, the, the one that it, it kind of all revolves around. And, and you know, that is, that is something that we talk about often here is because without Jesus, we have nothing. And that it, it all gets back to the cross. It all gets back to Jesus Christ. Because God sent his one and only son. He didn't send a bunch of sons. He sent his one and only son that Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He sent his one and only son to be, the, to be the substitution for our sins. He sent Jesus. So it always gets back to Jesus. Well, I don't know a lot of stuff. Well, do you know that Jesus came and that he, that he gave his life? He died on a cross for our sins, for your sins. Do you know that? Do you know that he was buried, that, that he rose from the dead? Do you know that? That's what it gets down to. That's what he's talking about even here in verse 16. Let's read what it says there in 1 Timothy 3.16. It says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, was preached among the nation, nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up, in glory. I was thinking uh, about that illustration I, I read uh, uh, some time ago where, you know, they had a sign out in front of the church where it said, we preach Christ. And, and then, you know, some bushes were kind of growing up and nobody was taking care of it, right? And then the bush grew up and it kind of, it kind of eclipsed the word Christ. So it says, we preach and then that uh, bush keep, you know, kept growing, and then pretty much it was after that, it was just we. And then pretty soon it was nothing. We leave Christ out of it. We can preach, but we're not going to get any truth. 
And pretty soon you drop the preaching too, you drop the message, and, and then pretty much it's just us and a, a, you know, a, a, a clique, a club, it's just people. But that's not the church. That's not the church what he's talking about here. He, that is God, appeared in a body. God came down. Emmanuel, God with us. He, he took the form of a man. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. He was vindicated by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. It says in Romans chapter 1, it says, Who through the Spirit, speaking about Jesus, who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was seen by angels. They were there. They saw it all. And He was preached among the nations. That's the great commission that we have as a church. Again, being the pillar and foundation that people who come to a church, they should be able to find the truth there of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. If you go to a place and they never even talk about Jesus and never mention his name, that is probably not a place to go. Probably not a place to be. Now, does that mean that's all we ever talk about is just Jesus and the cross and the resurrection? No, but that's, that's the central truth of the church. And, 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 and we talk about a lot of things because the Bible is so completely full of so many things and how to live our lives and how things should function. But the central focus, the central figure, the one who keeps it all together is Jesus. It says he was, he was believed on in the world. And that's, and that's the fact that, that you and I, we need to have response. We need to trust him. We need to believe in him. We need to make a choice. Am I going to believe in him? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to give my life to this man, Jesus? And then it says he was taken up in glory taken up in glory. This is Jesus. This is the one who, who we as the family of God, we have a father, we have the son, and, and uh, he's, like, he's like our older brother in one sense, but he's also our Lord and Savior, this one Jesus. He's our unifying force, the one that, that brings us all together. And without him in the picture, we have really got nothing. So the family of God, this family, this household of God, he says here, Paul's writing, I, I, want, I want you to understand, I want you to know. This is how things should look. And, and, and even in the things that he shares with us, and even the, the things that we read about here, there's, there's still some, some uh, room for flexibility because of all the different personalities, because of all the different people that we are. I think he's, he's given us a lot of... of, uh, uh, of I don't know, I don't want to use the word leeway, but he's given us a, to kind of make it our own. Do you know what I mean by that? Does that make sense? The family, the household of God. I'm, I'm, a glad, I'm glad to be a part of this family here, and, and uh, you guys are very special to me. And, and uh, again, I just want to encourage you to get to know your brothers and sisters. Get to know the family. Talk to one another. Maybe invite each other out. Go have lunch together. Do something. 
Call one another up and say, hey, you guys want to come over to our house? This is the kind of thing that as we get to know one another, and, and, and Sundays, and I say this, Sundays are really very important. We, we worship together, we study together, we pray together. But you know what? Just to talk to somebody for a minute or two, that's not really enough to get to know them, right? You've got to spend a little more time together. I was thinking about this, I read somewhere, about the family resemblance. That's kind of interesting to think about, the family resemblance. Is there a family resemblance? Some of that is genetic, right, in your family, where, you know, you look, you look alike because the genetics are there. And so there's this family resemblance. But I think there's more than that. It's like when somebody's been married for like 50, 60 years, they, they start to look alike. Have you noticed that? Are we going to argue? <laughs> Cogitate's going to think about that one for a while. You know, it's, it's being a part of the family. Of course, the, the, again, Jesus is, is that if we, if we spend time with him, we begin to look like him. We begin to be like him. And that's what the, the Bible says for us to be more and more like Jesus. But I think, too, it's more than that as well. Just as we're together, like, wow, we, we are. There is something special about a family, about a local church, about a, a body of believers that are together for the long run. You know, there's something. Yeah, that doesn't mean we don't have issues, right? We don't have any issues today. But there's something that takes place. And I think it's good, and it's healthy, and it's right, and, and, and so I think we should celebrate who we are as a body of Christ. We gather around the cross, we gather around Jesus and what he's done for us, and, and he's given to us something special, but we, we need to take it beyond just, oh, hi, how are you doing, when you don't really want the answer, to like, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister, we're family, we're in this thing. Are you doing okay? And, and, and maybe, you know, I'll pray for you. If you've got this issue, I'll pray for you. I'll, uh, I'll remember you. And when somebody's hurting, when the Bible says what? We, we hurt together. When somebody's happy, we, we're happy together. So happy together. No, sorry. That's bad. You have to be my age to remember that. <laughs> we're just family crazy crazy people right I don't know about your family but my family is crazy crazy but it's my family right and we're family and so let's let's think about that let's treat each other like that let's get to know each other amen, amen. let's pray father in heaven we thank you for for, for your word, we thank you for your, what you want to do with us and in us and, and this little part of your family, this little part of the body of Christ here that uh, we gather together here in this location that you provided for us to, to meet in. I pray you would, uh, you would bind us together as a family and, and that we would grow in that and grow in, in, in love and grow in, in, in our knowing one another and, and uh, as, we, 
as, we, as the weeks become months and the months become years, that we become more like Jesus and, and we become more in, in tune with each other. And, and Father, I thank you that you've given, it, given this family to us. We submit to you, though, Lord, as the Father. We look to you, Jesus, as our Lord, as our Savior, that you made us part of the family because of that cross. And Father, I think here today, maybe, maybe there's someone here who's not part of the family because they're just searching, they're seeking, they're looking. And maybe as we're praying, that's you today, you, you want to know, uh, how can I be a part of the family? I, I want to be, belong. And all you need to do is come to that Savior Jesus, the cross, that he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he wants, he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to come into your life and your heart. And all you need to do is, is, is ask him. It says they believed. He was believed on in the world. And, and put your trust and believe in him today and simply call out and say, Jesus, I, I ask you into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me my sins. Make me a part of the family, the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray.